Well, we are here for the last night of this meeting. And if you would, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47 is where we'll have our first passage from this evening. Actually, what we could do is just sing those two songs again, and I would sit down and you would have your sermon for tonight. The wording is just pretty much following along with what the lesson is going to be. Uh, the singing is absolutely wonderful, and I want you to know that. Everybody's singing out, and it's just really good, and I really appreciate that. Uh, I want to thank you again for all your kindnesses with Karen and prayers and asking about her and thinking about her. I can tell you it was a big question whether she was going to come at all. I actually put it in my mind. In her mind, she said, I'm coming for Sunday, <laughs> no matter what, she was coming. And she really enjoyed being with all of you and of course, hated, couldn't be here the rest of the week. But uh, I think y'all need to know how encouraging y'all are. Uh, no matter who you are, uh, people need encouragement. They need to be uplifted. They need to be made stronger. And I'm here to preach, but I probably got more out of this than you have. And I think you need to know that. You have a really, really good church here. You have some really, really good people. And that's valuable. That helps people get to heaven. Helps people like me get to heaven. And, and it has been so encouraging to be with you here this week. Uh, to get a chance to preach these sermons and study with you, but to just be around a bunch of Christians that love each other and want to do what's right and want to help each other get to heaven. And I will tell you, you have done that this week. So thank you very much for that. We're going to study tonight about the subject of hope. And we talked last night where... Jesus said, if you don't believe me, believe the works. And the crowning work is the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And we made the point, metaphorically, that that empty grave speaks to us. We just need to listen. We just need to get the message. We have to be serious enough to think about that and hear what is being said by the empty grave of Jesus. Because there is a big message there. We talked about several of those things last night, and tonight we're going to talk about the other thing that the empty grave of Jesus tells us. Now, I want to begin with Genesis chapter 47. In Genesis chapter 47, you have the time where Joseph brings his father Jacob and the rest of his family to Egypt for them to be provided for during the famine. He brings his father before Pharaoh, and in verse 8, Pharaoh asked Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are a hundred and thirty years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my father in the days of their pilgrimage. It's interesting how Jacob answers Pharaoh just asking him how old you are. And there's about three sermons in that one verse right there. You can take it in different directions. But I want you to notice that Jacob describes his life as being made up of few days and evil days. In other words, it would be the idea of it's really passed fast. I, I can't believe I'm as old as I am. And we would say, I don't know where the years went. And some of us can relate to that. But notice that he says the days of his life had been evil days. There's quite a few passages in the Bible we could go to. I just chose this one. To make the point that sometimes, many times, this life is just not such a great life. Life in this world has a lot of evil. It has a lot of tragedy has a lot of sadness, discouragement, sorrow, how many other words we want to use for that. It's just not that great sometimes. Sometimes life in this world really, really hurts. And if your life has been so great so far, I am so happy for you. 
But I promise you, you're sitting in a crowd of people who know what I'm talking about. And if this life is all that we have, then that's not really that great. The Bible talks about this life is made up basically of a flood of people coming into the world and leaving this world. Look over in Psalm 90 with me. Okay, in Psalm 90, he talks about the, the living and dying in, in kind of a different way than we might word it. But it says in verses 9 and 10, For all our days are passed away in the wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. It is soon cut off and we fly away. You know, normally somebody live about 70 years, three score and 10. If you're lucky, you get an extra 10 years that was somebody else's and you get to live to 80. But in the best of these days, it's still labor and sorrow. And then guess what you get to do? You get to die. That's just what happens. Earlier in the same Psalm, he says in verse, verse 5, Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourishes and grows up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. He describes humanity as a flood. You have a flood of people being born into the world, while at the same time you have a flood of people dying and going out the other end of it. It's just this continual flood of people coming through the world. You're born, you live, and then you die. And that's what everybody has to go through. Well, I don't know about you, but that doesn't cheer me up very much. That doesn't make me very upbeat when I think about it that way. And then you think about all the hard, sad things that can happen to people while they're passing through this world. And the thing about God is He promises us more. God promises us, promises us more than just that. And the word that we would use for that is the word hope. Now, I, I want you to understand hope doesn't just mean, when I say, well, I hope I get a million dollars someday. That's not hope. That's a wish, okay? A wish is something that's, you know, I'm not going to get a million dollars. I can just tell you, I can hope all I want to. I'm just wishing, and it's not going to happen. I don't ever expect that to happen. Hope is when you want something and you expect it to happen. In other words, it is something that can really affect your life because you expect that someday this is going to happen. And hope is what helps us get through this life Okay, look in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6, beginning with verse 18, he says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Okay, now look at some of the wording in that. It says, God who, who we're listening to God who's not going to lie to us, that we might have a strong consolation. Okay, that's a consoling, making it all right for us. That's what God does for us by the hope that is set before us. In other words, God has promised something and laid it out there before us, and, and someday we will have that. We cannot just wish that we have, we expect to have that that God has promised. I expect to get that. And it is set out there before me, 
And while I'm living now, I get consolation in the sadness and the sorrow and the hardship and the disappointments and discouragements and all the things of this life. I get consolation from knowing that I've got something better set before me. Something better that I'm going to have and I'm going to reach and I'm going to get. And that's why it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. If you don't have anything to hope for, you're just going to flounder around in life. That's why we have a lot of very messed up people in the world around us. They have just in our society pretty much wiped out the hope that God has said because they've wiped out God in a lot of areas. But, but when we have a real hope of what God has said, well, we know what it is and we expect to have that one day, it anchors our soul right here and keeps us where we need, be, need to be. It keeps us all right in the middle of a messed up world that we live in. Okay, look at Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, he again talks about this hope. And I want you to notice here how important that hope is. Romans chapter 8 and verse 24. He says, we are saved by hope. And okay, now when somebody asks you about the plan of salvation, what do you say? Need to hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. And then you need to do some hoping. You need to do some hoping. You need to have that hope that God sets before us. And notice that he says, we are saved by hope. Now, the Bible says we're saved by faith. We're saved by hearing the gospel. We're saved by confession. We're saved by repentance. We're saved by baptism. There are verses for all of those things. Here's another one. We would say that if it saves by, we're saved by faith, faith is essential, right? If we're saved by repentance, repentance is essential, right? If we're saved by baptism, baptism is essential, right? Well, here it says we're saved by hope. Guess what? Hope is essential. For you to get to heaven, you better figure the hope thing out. And you better have that. Or you won't make it. So how does, what is the role? We talked about it being the anchor of the soul. Let me tell you how hope helps you. And I'm just going to use a thing probably all of us can relate to. Have you ever had a bad day at work? I mean, you're rocking along. If you work days, you're rocking along about noon, one o'clock. And it's been a horrible day. And you just don't know if you can handle any more of it, right? What do you do? What happens with you to get you through? I'll tell you what you do. Whatever your get-off time is, let's say 5 o'clock, you start saying to yourself, I can't wait till 5 o'clock gets here. That's, that. That's pretty normal, right? That's just something we've all gone through. I can't wait till 5 o'clock gets here. And knowing that 5 o'clock is going to get here helps you get through 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock and be okay during that time because you know 5 o'clock's coming and you're going to get to leave this place and go home and leave it all behind. You know what that is? That's hoping. That's what hoping is. That is real hope just in an everyday situation on a much grander scale when life is not all that great and you're having trouble dealing with life, hoping for, the, for what God has set before us will help you get through today and this week and this month and maybe a bad year for your family or something like that because you're looking to the future. You're looking to the hope that God has set before you and that anchors you now while you're in this life. So what is the hope of a Christian? Well, it's eternal life. Read some passages with me. In Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1, there in verse, verses 1 and 2, Paul is writing the introduction to his book. And he says, Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledging of the truth which is after godliness, 
in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Paul says here, he's writing this letter in hope of eternal life. Paul lived his whole life in hope of eternal life. That with the day-to-day stuff, the everyday living kind of thing you have to do in this world, above and beyond that, coloring all of that behind the scenes all the time was this hope that he had, someday I'm going to live forever. Someday I'm going to have eternal life, life that is eternal that will last forever. Okay, look in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, you have the passage where Jesus said some things some of the disciples didn't like. And so some of them turned away. Verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, will you also go away? Listen to Peter's answer. Then Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. Because he he has, is the Son of God, he has the words of eternal life. Peter wanted to live forever. And he didn't understand what Jesus was saying from the context. I don't think any more than the rest of them did. But he wasn't going to walk away because the one thing he was sure of was that Jesus could tell him how to live forever. Jesus could get him to eternal life. And he wasn't turning away from that. That's what he wanted, to live forever. Okay? Look in Mark chapter 10. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is talking about some of the sacrifices that his people have to make. Verse 28, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, and in the world to come eternal life. In the world to come there will be eternal life. Jesus continually lays this hope out for us that we will get to live forever. One more passage on that. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it's a long sentence, so let's start up in about verse 8. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Okay? To flip a light on in a room is to show you where everything is, right? Shows you how you turn a light, comes on, you see where everything is, you see how to go where you need to go. Same idea. Jesus brought something to light. He turned the light switch on so we can see where to go, how to have it. And what that is, is life and immortality. To be alive and to be alive forever. Eternal life. To live forever. Jesus brought that to light for us through the gospel. That's what the gospel is about. It's about me living forever. It's about you living forever. And that is a real thing that is set before us in the gospel by God. It is our hope. It is the hope of a Christian. 
I want to live forever. How about you? That's what the gospel's about. That's what Jesus came to provide for us. Okay, now there's a problem with that. <laughs> the problem is I'm going to die. Don't want to make you feel bad, but you got a problem with that because you're going to die too. Someday, for each one of us, we're all going to die and we will be dead when we die. That's profound, isn't it? We're going to be dead. So how can I live forever if I die? Well, the answer is that Jesus promised to raise me from the dead. And he promised to raise you from the dead. He made that promise many times to us. Let's go through some verses. Look in John chapter 5. Okay, start in John 5. Verse 28. He says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. He promises that everybody's going to be raised from the dead. Look in chapter 6. Chapter 6, verses 39 and 40. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all that he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. That's, that's us. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. He's going to die, but I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus promises to do that for us. Look in chapter 11. In chapter 11, beginning with verse 23, is the story of Lazarus when he dies. In verse 23, he is talking to Martha, and he says, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha says to him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, they knew about that. They had been taught about that. She says, I know. Now, Jesus is actually going to raise Lazarus. We know that. But even she knows that there will be a resurrection in the last day. She says, I know he's going to be raised in the resurrection day. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth, liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Why? Because I will raise him from the dead. I will do that. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. When you're raised on that resurrection day, there will be no dying after that. And he asked Martha, do you believe that? That's a good question for us. Do we really believe that? You have every reason to because Jesus promised that that's what he's going to do. Chapter 14. Chapter 14 is one of the most beautiful passages you'll ever read in the Bible. Jesus is, is leaving them, going to be crucified, killed, raised from the dead, go back to heaven. What are they going to do without him there with them? And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are in many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. But in order to do that, when he comes back, he's going to have to raise them from the dead. He's not going to take dead people back to heaven with him. He's going to take living people back to heaven with him by raising them from the dead. And there'll be another passage we'll look at that's very similar to that in just a little bit. 
Okay? So this wonderful picture of life, I'm born, I'm living a not so great life, and then I'm just going to die. Isn't that great? Okay, well, what makes that better? The hope for eternal life that God has set before us. So why should I believe in that? Why should I believe that God will raise me from the dead after I die? Why should I believe that God even can raise me from the dead if I die? Well, the answer is right there. That right there, the empty grave of Jesus tells us resurrection is possible. Resurrection is a real thing. And it also contains the message of the promises where Jesus promised to raise us from the dead. That, that empty grave is tied to what someday will be my empty grave. I'm going to die. Hopefully somebody will bury me. But I'm not going to stay in my grave. Someday my grave will be as empty as the tomb of Jesus is right now. Because the Bible tells us that just as surely as Jesus was raised from the dead, I can count on being raised from the dead. Notice the verses that tie that together. Look in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, at verse 11. Romans 8, 11. And here are the ones that you need to get. Because these are the ones that say, my resurrection is dependent on the resurrection of Jesus. And I know he was raised from the dead. We've seen all the evidence this week. So I know I can count on being raised from the dead. Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. That means they'll make you alive again, raise you from the dead by his spirit who dwells in you. Paul by the inspiration of God says, if he raised Jesus from the dead, he's going to raise you from the dead also. Okay? Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there in verse 14. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 14. He says, and God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. God has raised Jesus from the dead, and he's, and he's going to raise us from the dead by the same power. And, and as, he, as he puts those two things together, he's telling me that I have every reason to believe that he will raise me from the dead. My dying is not going to be it. There's a whole lot more that's going to come after that, because just as surely as he raised Jesus from the dead... The one who raised him from there said, I'll raise you from the dead too. That's going to happen. Okay, look at another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Okay? Firstfruits. Do you know what the word firstfruits necessarily tells us? There's more. Jesus is just the first. If he's the only, you don't put a first there. First means there's a second and a third and a fourth. That's why you would put the word first there. He is the first fruits. Christ the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And listen to verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. You remember where in Revelation it says there's no dying in heaven? 
The reason is because Jesus is going to destroy death. That's the last enemy. Death will not happen anymore. Death will be destroyed by the Son of God. Okay? Jesus promises. Jesus promises. And he has the power to keep his promise. Let me impress this upon you. Jesus made a promise to us. You remember what Paul said, God who cannot lie. Jesus promised. I can expect it. I have a real and actual hope. I expect to be raised from the dead. Because Jesus promised. And he shows us that that can happen. Okay? Let me show you what Jesus did for us. Look in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. In verse 14, he says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that he, might, that he through death might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Okay? It says, we are made of flesh and blood. So Jesus came and did likewise. He was Emmanuel with us, God in a fleshly body. Now, notice there's several passages that word the purpose different ways, but notice how it's worded here. What was the purpose of him coming here? So that is the idea that he might... the. Uh, that he might destroy him that had the power of death, and that is the devil. Listen, 1 Corinthians 15 says the strength of sin is, is the strength of, of death is sin. That stings you. Because if you die in sin, Satan has power over you. He can hold you in death. He couldn't do that with Jesus because Jesus never sinned. He had nothing on Jesus to hold Jesus. And through his death, paying the price for our sins so we could be forgiven, he destroyed him who had the power of death, and that is the devil. He set us free from the power of the devil because of our sins. And so now we, we don't need to live. We've been delivered from the fear of death. Now, let me tell you something. If you only look at dying from this perspective of this world, you're going to be afraid of dying. I don't want to call you an ugly name, but don't tell me you're not, because you will be. Dying is a scary thing if all you see is what you see here. It just means you're dead and gone. But Jesus has delivered us from that. Number one, by destroying the devil's power in death over us. Setting us free from that. And promising us that it's okay if you die. It's okay if I, yeah, it's okay. It's going to be okay if you die. Because I'm going to bring you back to life. I'm going to raise you from the dead to a place where you will never die again. Eternal life. That is the promise of Jesus. Look at another passage. Look at Revelation chapter 1. In Revelation chapter 1, you have the letters to the seven churches. And there's some of these little verses that are kind of just changeover verses. And they've got some really neat stuff in them. Verse 18 is one of those. Verse 17 beginning, it says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and last, 
I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. That is Jesus being alive, and then they crucified and killed him on the cross and buried him, and then he was raised from the dead, and so now he's alive forevermore. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am now alive forevermore. Amen. Oh, and don't miss the last part of that. He says, and I've got the keys now. I have the keys of hell and death. Satan doesn't have the keys anymore. Jesus got them. Jesus has the keys of death and Hades. And that means when we die, he's got the key to just open the door for us to come back to life. He knows how to do that. He's got the keys. And he has the power to do that for us. Okay? The hope of a Christian is that, yes, I'm going to die, but Jesus is going to raise me from the dead. I will be alive forever from that point on in a place called heaven. That is not a wish. That's hope. You can, you can go way beyond just thinking about it. You can go the, all the way to expecting him to do that for you because he promised. 1 Peter chapter 3. Excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. Okay? Stop right there with me. And notice where he says, Blessed be the God of heaven. God did something wonderful for us. Bless God. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Well, what did God do? Well, he did something according to his abundant mercy for us. In other words, he looked at us and he saw something we need to get through this life. And he provided it for us. According to his abundant mercy, he gave us what we need that he saw we need. You know what that is? It's hope. It's hope. Without hope in this life, without something better to look forward to, this life is full of despair. It's full of giving up. In fact, if you want to talk about it in clinical terms, do you know when people commit suicide? It's when they don't have any more hope. They don't see it getting any better. They've got nothing to even possibly look forward to in their mind that it's ever going to give it. That's when people commit suicide. That's clinical. God looked at us and saw that we need hope. We need something to be able to look forward to that's going to be wonderful. We can, we can hang on to it and just grab hold of that and hang on to it till we get there. That'll get us through right now. And notice he says that according to his abundant mercy, he has begotten us again unto a lively hope. That's what he gave to us. He gave us hope in this world. And don't miss the word lively there, okay? The idea is, it's a real hope. It's not pie in the sky. It's not just wishing kind of thing. Well, that'd be kind of a nice thing if it would ever happen. It is a real hope. We really expect for that to happen. Well, what am I hoping for here? Verse 4, an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away. And I have reservations in heaven for my mansion. It's real. Whatever a heavenly mansion's like, I've got one. And it is reserved for me. And you've got one if you're a child of God. Now, I skipped one phrase in there. Did you notice what it was? The end of verse 3. 
unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Remember, the Word speaks. The empty grave talks to us, and what it tells us is God has given us a real hope and proved to me I can die and still get what He's promised me because He's going to raise me from the dead, take me to heaven, and give it to me. He proved it by the resurrection from the dead. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Background of this is there's a question about what if I don't live till Jesus comes back? What about the Christians who died before you? Jesus is coming back, but what if I can't hang on and stay alive till he gets back? My mama, my daddy died. They, did, they, didn't, they weren't able to stay alive till he comes back. What about them? Verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those that have died and gone on, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. If you, don't, if you die before Jesus comes back, you don't lose your hope. It's still a real hope. And that doesn't go away. And he's telling them, you don't need to worry about your loved ones who are asleep in Jesus. Verse 14, get it here now. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that, do you believe that? That's why that's so important. That's why you need evidence. That's why you need to hear what the skeptics come up with and how ridiculous their arguments are. And then you read the story in the Bible of Jesus being raised from the dead and the witnesses that gave their lives with eyewitness testimony. And, and it is all there to be believed. Jesus really was raised from the dead. And if he was... Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. If Jesus was raised from the dead, I'm going to be raised from the dead. He's going to come back and get me, just like he promised in John 14. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not. Now the King James says prevent, but if you have a footnote, it'll say precede. Your new versions will say that. He says they shall not precede them which are asleep. In other words, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be some people alive. Probably not me, but there'll be some people alive. And there'll be a lot of Christians who are dead in the graves. And what he's saying with the shall not precede them, he's saying nothing's going to happen before I get them back out of the graves. Nobody's going to get a reward. Nobody's going to get any favors. I'm not going to do anything. The very first thing I'm going to do when I come back is raise my children from the dead. Verse 16, look at the end of it. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. They're not going to miss out on anything. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we forever be with the Lord because we will live forever from that point on. And he says comfort each other by talking about this. This is a promise from our Lord Jesus. So let me repeat Jesus' question that he asked Martha. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? You need to answer that question for yourself. If you don't believe it, you're going to have a hard life. May have already had that. But if you believe it, and you have every reason to, you got something to grab onto. You have something to hang onto. And it'll get you through. Notice over in Colossians chapter 1. 
because I just want to point out to you that you remember the devil quoted Scripture too. Okay, so the things that I'm pointing out to you tonight, the devil already knows it's in the Bible. The devil knows the role of hope, what good it does us, and, and how it can get us to heaven, and he's going to try to mess that up. That's why Colossians 1.23, Colossians 1.23 says, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel. That's the devil's work. To get you to forget about it, to question it, to doubt it, even though God promised. It's like he did with Eve. God says, you're going to die if you eat that devil. <laughs> you're not going to die. Come on now. The devil doesn't want you believing it. He doesn't want you telling anybody about it. He doesn't even want you thinking about it day by day. Because he knows that will keep you in line to get a mansion in heaven. He's going to try to move you away from that. And so again, I ask you, do you believe what Jesus promised? In John 14, he says, you believe in God? Believe me, I'm God. Believe in me. Remember he said, there's, there's, in my father's house, there's a lot of mansions. He said, if it wasn't so, I would tell you. I'm not going to lie to you about that. If it wasn't so, I would tell you. And, and I'm going away to get a mansion ready for you. And I'm not going to waste my effort by making you a mansion and then not bringing, it to, bringing you to it. I'm going to come back, get you, raise you from the dead, and take you to your mansion. Do you believe that? Well, if you do, there's not a lot in this life that's going to even come close to, to mattering compared to that. We'll get a little personal now. I want to I want to tell you a story about my father. It's about a person who wanted to go to heaven. My father was born in 1920. Died about three, almost four years ago now. He was born in 1928. He was raised as a child during the Great Depression. Poor, dirt poor was a real. It wasn't just a word. That was a real thing. Okay, dirt poor. He used to tell us he would go to school and had a little brown paper sack and he took clabber sandwiches to school for lunch. I never figured out what a clabber sandwich was. But just the sound of it, I don't think clabber sandwiches were probably too great, do you? <laughs> he quit school when he was in eighth grade, went to work. If if you have ever seen the show Grease, my father could have had the lead in Grease. He had an Indian motorcycle, got pictures of him with the blue jean cuffs rolled up about that high, white t-shirt with a pack of Winstons rolled up in the sleeve. He, he, could have, he was Grease. He, that's who he was in Southeast Houston. He went into the Navy and was in World War II in the Pacific Theater. Rough background, rough, pretty rough. Came back and then my mother and he got pretty close. And she began teaching him. He didn't have a lot of background in religion, church. They might have gone to church a few times, whatever. Didn't know anything about it. And he began studying. Now, my father had an eighth grade education, but he became a journeyman millwright, a journeyman electrician, and a journeyman heating and, heating and air conditioning man. That will tell you something about what he was able to do studying on his own. And he applied that to studying the Bible. And he studied, and he studied, and he studied. And these kinds of things are what he studied because he had to figure out, did he believe all that? Was it worth it to change his lifestyle to, to become a child of God, become a Christian? And he decided that he did. He became a Christian. And from that point on, 
his goal was to go to heaven. He wanted to go to heaven. He, I know this from things that I found later, he wondered what heaven was going to be like. When I was going through his papers after he passed away, I found there was a lot of stuff cut out of bulletins. And he, he read and read religious bulletins, his Bible, all kinds of, there was a stack about that high of pages of bulletins that had been cut out. And every article was on heaven. Heaven was on his mind. When he was nanny, he had a stroke. And he was not doing too well. And to keep him alive, the doctor said they were going to have to put a feeding tube and all do all kinds of things. And I knew daddy wasn't going to do that. So we went in with the doctor and the family and... The doctor choked up, been his doctor for a long time. He couldn't hardly tell him, so I had to tell Daddy what the deal was, that, you know, if you don't do this, you're going to be dead in two weeks. And he looked at that doctor, and he took the doctor by the arm and pulled over. He said, forget all that. You just put me in a box. And so for two weeks, I sat with my father, some of the other family members, and Daddy would go to sleep, and you'd see him wake up every now and then. He wouldn't say anything. Wouldn't do. He'd just open his eyes, and you'd see him looking around. And one time he asked one of the family members, that, am I still in your world, or am I in mine yet? I left one evening to go take a break and go with some of the boys to do something one time, and I was walking out. He said, Steve, Steve, come here. I came back, he said, when is my funeral going to be? <laughs> I was like, that was a hard one, believe me, that was hard. I said, I, I don't know yet, Daddy, I don't know. He had a stream of friends that came in a couple of days that he rallied. And he said goodbye to them. And it was smiles, goodbyes, not crying, goodbyes. And then one morning he passed away. And my question to you is, now I, I've been in hospital, hear, hear people wailing and crying and screaming, I don't want to die, I don't want to die, please Jesus don't let me die, and they all night long screaming. What's the difference? What is the difference between somebody who is terrified of dying and somebody who accepts it as a matter of living and a matter of going to heaven. It's somebody who believes what that grave says. That's the difference. That's the difference. There is power in the empty grave of Jesus. Okay? Now, I'm going to read with you three more passages and we'll be done. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning with verse 51. Verse 50, let's start. Paul says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth the corruption inherit incorruption. You understand what it says? Flesh and blood doesn't get to go to heaven. You have to die to go to heaven. Physically, you have to die. He says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall, the, shall be brought to pass the saying is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death is not a loss. Death is a victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How does he do that? Because God makes it possible through his son Jesus. His son Jesus is our savior. He makes it possible for us to die without sin. Jesus makes it possible for us to die without sin. How does he do that? Because he will forgive us and do away with that sin. And we can die right, righteous before God. That's why verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. For you to believe that the grave of Jesus was empty because he was raised from the dead, he really did come back to life, and for you to base your life on that fact which means you're going to live a certain way. You're going to be what God wants you to be. You are not wasting your time. It's not in vain. You can have a home in heaven. Okay? Now look over in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to some people who don't believe in him. And so he says to them, in John chapter 8, verse 21, I go my way and you shall seek me and shall die in your sins. These are people that don't believe in him. He said, I'm going to, you're going to come after me. You're going to come trying to find me, but you're not going to be able to find me. Because you're going to die in your sins. Now listen to the end of this. Whither I go, you cannot come. We know that Jesus was raised from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God. He's in heaven. And he says to these people, when you die in your sins, you cannot come where I'm going. If you die in your sins, you cannot go to heaven. That's not me saying that. That's red letters in a red letter Bible. Jesus says that. In verse 24 he says, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins, for if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Remember, if you die in your sins, you can't go to heaven. If you don't believe in this, you will die in your sins. And so I ask you again, the same thing Jesus asked Martha. Do you believe what Jesus said? If you do, the question is, what is your standing before God right now then? All have sinned come short of the glory of God. The real difference between any of us here is the question of, have I been forgiven or not? All have sinned come short of the glory of God. But my sins have been forgiven or they haven't been forgiven. And that's what the gospel plan of salvation is about. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He will forgive your sins. He promises. Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. He promises. And so where are you tonight? Where are you before God tonight? Have you been baptized for the remission of your sins? Are you in danger of missing out on heaven? If you are, I guess my question would be just what, what Paul was at. What are you waiting for? I mean, come on, what are you waiting for? 
Are you going to keep taking chances on losing your soul and never making it to heaven? Why? Why would you do that? Well, there's this and this, and, and it probably you might be able to have an answer for that. To, that matters to you. But I will promise you one thing. It's not worth losing your soul. And if you end up losing your soul, you're going to end up agreeing with what I just said. And so what I would encourage you to do is this. If you know what's right and you know what's wrong and you know you've just gone against what God says, God says that's sin. And you can't go to heaven with sin. So I'm going to ask you to think seriously about your soul tonight where you are before God. We want you to go to heaven. Remember what I said to me? It's all about us helping each other go to heaven. And I may be a little direct to you, but it's about helping you get to heaven. Make a decision. Make a decision for God. Get your life right with God. And when you do, You'll have something to look forward to. And I'm going to tell you, you'll have no idea how much meaning that right there will have in the rest of your life. If you need to obey the gospel, it can help you. Come and let us know. We'll go we stand while we sing.